Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic, and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do. A companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net. If you have suggestions for topics, guests, and other ideas, please send them to info at scientificsense.com and I can be reached at gil at epen.info. My guest today is Dr. Antonio Lieto, who is a researcher in artificial intelligence and cognitive science at the University of Turin in Italy and a research associate at the ICAR-CNR Institute in Palermo. His research focuses on knowledge representation and automated reasoning, common sense reasoning, semantic and language technologies, cognitive systems, and architectures. On these topics, he has published more than 70 papers in international conferences, journals, and books. Welcome, Antonio. So, hi, Gil. Thank you for this uh, invitation. Absolutely. Uh, you have been working on topics uh, of common sense reasoning and more recently in computational creativity. Uh, these are uh, possibly a few steps above what most people think about in artificial intelligence today, uh, which tends to be more mechanistic, such as machine learning and deep learning. Could you describe what you mean by common sense reasoning? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, common sense reasoning is a research area. It's, uh, let's say, an old and new uh, area of research within the uh, artificial intelligence uh, field. Yeah. And it uh, uh, is based on all the type of reasoning that we humans uh, are able to do uh, very uh, quickly. It concerns, for example, uh, induction, uh, abduction, and this sort of, let's say, um, uh, common uh, type of uh, reasoning but that uh, that is let's say common for us but it is that it is very difficult to model within uh, uh, within uh, machines uh, and i said that it was a no problem because uh, it was uh, uh, i mean having machines um, able to model this kind of uh, uh, cognitive faculty was already a, a goal of people like John McCarthy or Marvin Minsky. Mm. And so uh, this problem was already, uh, let's say, there in the early days of uh, uh, AI. And now it's returned because uh, uh, actually we uh, did, didn't do a lot of uh, uh, progress. 
uh, in the last uh, uh, 60 years. So most of the um, methods of the current methods based on machine learning and or deep learning, this kind of stuff are, um, say, uh, used to uh, perform uh, not this kind of uh, uh, task, uh, which requires, of course, reasoning and, uh, let's say, different kind of uh, ingredients, but they are mainly based on um, uh, build better machine on perceptual task. So on uh, learning things from uh, the, the data, try to figure out some kind of regular patterns and try to make some kind of decision. So let's say that uh, it's, uh, uh, and in fact, for example, the methods that uh, I use in my research are uh, not based, for example, on deep learning. So I use uh, symbolic methods or hybrid methods and hybrid architectures in order to achieve this kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, in order to deal with this kind of task in machines. Okay, okay. So when we think about reasoning, um, different types of reasoning, so deductive, inductive, and abductive reasoning, so are you seeing common sense reasoning sort of a superset of that, or is it different? Um, I would say that common sense reasoning uh, is uh, uh, concerned mainly with the induction and with the um, abduction. But it is, uh, let's say, not a kind of, it is a particular kind of induction and of abduction. It is a kind of uh, inductive inferences and abductive inference that are common, so that uh, most of the people can do, uh, let's say, in a, a matter of uh, seconds, for example. Okay. okay. So it's, it's, uh, uh, there is this uh, typicality effect, which is uh, a, a, crucial, uh, a crucial part. So it's the kind of reasoning that we uh, um, are um, used to do and that requires a lot of, let's say, implicit knowledge that we have as humans about the states of the world, but that we are able to put in place when very quickly when we have to make uh, some kind of, uh, let's say, real life and real time decisions. Okay, okay. And so when you say symbolic methods, um, what, what do you mean? Well, um, the symbolic paradigm is uh, uh, somehow, let's say, uh, antithetic with respect to the current machine learning and deep learning techniques, because I mean, in the history of AI, uh, the, the two main paradigms, two main modeling paradigms that have been uh, developed are the symbolic methods, which assumes that the information, let's say, in the uh, let's say um, uh, mind, okay, in the in, in the software of the agents, uh, should have been uh, should be represented as symbols, which are somehow a proxy of uh, uh, objects which are uh, over there in the uh, in the world. And in this way, this kind of abstract symbols uh, can be used to uh, be um, combined among them and uh, can be used uh, to uh, solve, uh, solve problems. So if you see a, a problem as, uh, and you formalize a problem as something that um, is a, a symbolic problem space, you, uh, solving a problem in this kind of situation could just mean that you have to minimize let's say, the distance between this, between two symbols, an initial symbols and a goal symbols that uh, are, um, let's say, within this kind of uh, uh, problem space. So um, it's all, all, all the um, 
for example, logic-based frameworks, yeah. uh, which are developed in artificial intelligence, are developed based on this kind of symbolic assumption. So every logical formalism uh, is composed by symbols of the alphabets and some kind of operations that you can carry out uh, in this kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, structure. Uh, and of course, these symbols have a clear and specified semantics and you can reason on this kind of uh, Okay. Uh, symbolic structure. So that's the the the, the whole point. Okay. It is completely different with respect to the connectionist agenda, where um, you do not have a symbol that has a, uh, that uh, has a meaning of, let's say, uh, a particular concept. You do not have a, a symbol resembling, for example, a cup of uh, uh, that is associated to to uh, the, a cup of coffee. Uh, but you have patterns of connections within the artificial neural networks that can uh, somehow together form, let's say, the uh, distributed meaning of what a, a cup of coffee is. So, mm. so there are two different, two completely different modeling uh, approach to the way in which the information is structured within, uh, let's say, the mind okay, of artificial agents. Okay, okay. So let's dig deeper into some of your papers. Uh, you had a paper in the Journal of Experimental and Theoretical Artificial Intelligence, and it's entitled Dual PECS, a Cognitive System for Conceptual Representation and Categorization. Uh, and uh, you present in, there, in that paper uh, a cognitively inspired knowledge representation and reasoning system aimed at extending the capabilities of artificial systems in conceptual categorization tasks. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, in this system, uh, in the system that is described in, uh, in this paper, um, this, this is a, a system developed with some colleagues of mine to the University of Turin, Daniela yeah. Radicioni uh, and Valentina Ro. Uh, well, we have um, implemented a, a system that is able to perform uh, as uh, we humans do, uh, different, to perform and to integrate different kinds of um, categorization types. So we as humans are able to perform not only, let's say, uh, um, a simple form of categorization when I assign, let's say, by following a specific rule, uh, a data point to a particular class, let's yeah. say, uh, but we are able to perform different kinds of common sense categorization. So for example, I can, uh, I can say that uh, a particular instance uh, is uh, uh, a dog if I, uh, let's say, am able to uh, um, recognize the features that uh, uh, this element, uh, for example, is able to woof or as four or as four legs, right? Yeah. So, uh, but all these features are common sense features. Um, so mm -hmm. this kind of reason, this kind of categorization is a, an example of common sense categorization because, because all these features are neither necessary nor sufficient for defining something like uh, mm, uh, as, mm, let's say, belonging to the category of uh, dogs. But nonetheless, we are able, we commonly, okay, do this kind of inferences and most of the times we are right because this kind of uh, uh, inferences uh, are, can be considered as a sort of shortcuts, as a sort of heuristics that our minds uh, uses in a very effective way in order to, uh, let's say, um, 
survive, let's say, in an environment in which we do not have a, a complete information about the world, in which we uh, uh, have to deal with the uncertainty and uh, this kind of stuff. Okay. And uh, this system was, uh, um, I think, interesting because it uh, introduces, uh, it is based on two main assumptions. So the first assumption is that uh, in artificial system, uh, we should assume that uh, uh, part, uh, all the uh, uh, the concepts which are, uh, let's say, um, death weight within this system should have uh, uh, should have um, uh, um, different kind of representation. So we have multi. We may have multiple representation of the same uh, uh, concept, mm. and this is something that is also grounded on, uh, let's say, the quantity science on, let's say, human cognition literature. Right. And the second assumption is that uh, on this kind of different kind of uh, uh, representation for the same conceptual entity, we should be able to uh, model different kind of reasoning, a uh, sort of common sense reasoning of the type that I have described uh, before, and some more, let's say, classical types of reasoning. We just follow uh, some, uh, let's say, explicit rules in order to assign, for example, an instance to uh, a data point to a given uh, category. Okay. And so this is this is we have integrated in, in these systems um, in this system dual packs um, uh, this kind of uh, assumption and we have compared our results with uh, uh, what uh, the, the, the humans the, the human uh, uh, let's say re responses to let's say the task of common sense categorization we have obtained uh, let's say uh, quite uh, a good overlapping. Yeah, yeah. So, for so my understanding, Antonio. So, um, if I think about categorization, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know, I could envision sort of a spectrum of methodologies that I could utilize. Uh, so, on one side, I could use something like a deep learning uh, neural network uh, that uses a different way to to categorize things, uh, and it tends to be very brittle. Uh, because you know it, 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 it's it's only capable of understanding what 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 it has seen, and, and really not able to reason very well. On the other hand, I could actually write a rules based system, uh, and if I write an infinite number of rules in that system, presumably I will get a good performance from that. But it's very manually intensive, very expensive. So if I understand this correctly, will common sense reasoning sort of fall in the in the middle? Um, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, sort of, in, in the sense that, uh, um, for example, uh, with, uh, um, with neural networks, you can also obtain some kind of, let's say, uh, um, uh, some instances of, let's say, associative reasoning, which is part of the common sense uh, yeah. uh, reasoning. And this is something that this class of uh, of this class of uh, um, of system do uh, quite well. But for example, um, we are not able to uh, uh, tell why you have obtained this kind of uh, uh, results. So uh, one important feature of uh, let's say common sense is that it should be that the kind of inference that you draw is uh, for you for the humans at least something that you can. Uh, easily let's say also explain now in uh, within the uh, for example dual packs uh, system we use the hybrid architecture yeah. 
one which uh, the, the first part dealing with common sense categorization uh, is based on a, a vector a particular type of a vector space model mm. and if you want you can interpret let's say the last the, the last layers of this deep network as, as a huge uh, um, let's say uh, as huge vectors right yeah. Uh, so in, in this sense, let's say there is the link with the, the connectionist and with the uh, sub-symbolic part. But the other things that we are able to, to do is to, uh, with the help of the, uh, let's say, the symbolic part, which is connected with, the, uh, with our vector space representation, is, for example, to explain uh, some uh, particular type of errors. For example, if I want, let's, uh, a typical example is this one. Uh, if I uh, want to categorize, uh, uh, let's say, um, uh, linguistic description of the type, which is the uh, enormous fish that uh, eats plankton, yeah. okay? Uh, well, the first type of, let's say, categorization result that comes out immediately to our mind is probably the uh, answer whale, okay? Yeah. Because uh, uh, whales uh, are typically... Uh, um, associated with all the main feature of the category uh, fish, mm -hmm. category of the fishes. However, uh, we know, uh, let's say that uh, uh, whales are uh, do not belong to the category of yeah. fish. Yeah. So, uh, they are mammals, right? right? So this kind of, uh, uh, let's say, um, check can be done within our system and our system can suggest to select, let's say, another most appropriate uh, uh, let's say uh, associative answer that comes from let's say the first common sense category because the first one is obviously uh, wrong. Okay. So I think that this is something that is com this kind of uh, let's say uh, communication between the fast type of reasoning, the common sense reasoning, and the more logical reasoning that we have in Dualpex is something that is uh, um, missing in uh, uh, all the current uh, deep learning. Uh, uh, architecture. So you adjust, let's say, the fast type of categorization, and uh, uh, which works, uh, let's say, pretty well in um, many types of uh, um, examples, but it, of course, have uh, also some additional problems. Okay, so could could you um, talk a bit about the mechanics? Then you say, you know, the the hypothesis of conceptual structures represented as heterogeneous proxy types. So so is the system um, utilizing neural uh, deep learning networks at some level and then you have some sort of a hybrid um, hybrid reasoning around it? Is that how it works? Well, uh, um, the heterogeneous proxy types framework that uh, I um, developed is somehow, uh, let's say, uh, sort of agnostic with respect to the modeling tools that uh, um, you can use in order to model this kind of mechanism within an artificial system. So uh, in our case, we model, I mean, we developed a, a linguistic-based categorization system. Uh, so we, we were able to, um, let's say, um, have this kind of, uh, uh, of dealing with this kind of uh, linguistic uh, uh, stimuli, and we decided to go uh, with the hybrid architecture combining vector space model and symbolic models. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, instead of the vector space model, if you want to, for example, uh, use the same kind of heterogeneous proxy type uh, approach, 
uh, for vision, you can, for example, substitute the, uh, mm, let's say, uh, vector space model component with a deep learning uh, architectures because we know that uh, we can obtain better results by using that kind of uh, uh, that kind of tool. So in general, the heterogeneous proxy types uh, mm, uh, hypothesis uh, um, is based on the assumption that once we uh, mm, receive a, a perceptual stimulus to uh, categorize, it can be, let's say, a visual stimulus uh, or can be, uh, let's say, a, a linguistic uh, type of uh, mm -hmm. stimulus. Uh, what we do is a sort of comparison, similarity-based comparison be because between the stimulus and the kind of representations that we have in our long-term memory. Yeah. And uh, uh, um, what is selected is, uh, and, uh, and let's say within this selection, there are different kind of heuristics that are used. When something is selected uh, as, uh, let's say, the most similar representation with respect to the stimulus that you want to categorize, we... Uh, uh, let's say, make this representation proxy uh, within the working memory of our, let's say, artificial uh, agent. So we assume that there is a memory system within, uh, let's say, an artificial agent that is based on a long-term memory, which store all the information, and a working memory, which is a sort of buffer. You can, in computer science terms, you can, uh, let's say, things to the working memory as a sort of buffer. Yeah. And this process explains how, which are the mechanisms for, uh, let's say, selecting, uh, uh, let's say, the appropriate representation uh, which go are selected as a proxy in working memory. Of course, once you have a proxy representation in working memory, you can then use the kind of representation for doing other kind of, uh, uh, um, let's say, um, activities like uh, planning or multi-step reasoning or this kind of, this kind of stuff. Or making an action. If you are, if you are, uh, if you uh, let's say use this kind of architecture within a robotic system, let's say, uh, uh, and, and an important issue issue will be that one of making a decision uh, for making an action. Okay. Okay. So, so to so build up the long term memory, um, the the inputs are uh, both linguistic description as well as visual. Um, visual description so there's a variety of different types of information that's being used um in uh, okay uh, in, uh, in the original uh, in the work that is described in the paper yeah um, um, we were able to deal with uh, uh, linguistic descriptions mm -hmm. in english and uh, let's say in a, a bunch of other uh, languages this kind of uh, descriptions, so it was a sort of, let's say, question answering system uh, uh, that uh, was able to deal with the common sense type of uh, uh, questions, okay, which yeah. are the most difficult ones to uh, to uh, to handle. Uh, we are now, so this is this was the original uh, paper. We are now extending um, the uh, the architecture with uh, uh, the goal of trying to, uh, let's say. Um, integrate also uh, uh, visual, um, uh, the, 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 the vision system, okay. actually. Uh, um, we have some hints about how to do that, because, for example, in, our, in, in the original paper, we were able to integrate uh, the two different kinds of representation that we use by using, uh, so the, let's say, 
symbolic representation, which are based on ontologies and semantic networks, and the vector space representation were grounded uh, together uh, via WordNet, which is a, let's say, quite well-known linguistic uh, resources. So we had actually um, WordNet that was used as, and that is used uh, as, uh, let's say, a sort of linking layer between uh, these uh, two different co-referring representations. They are co-referring because basically, as I mentioned, they provide different views, uh, a common sense view and a classical, let's say, view on the same kind of concepts. So, for example, I can say that uh, the, for the concept of water, I could uh, say symbolically that water is uh, um, every item that is formed by two atoms of uh, hydrogen and one atom of uh, oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but from a common sense view, I do not use that kind of conceptualization in order to deal with, uh, let's say, real world data. So, for example, I can describe the water in, uh, in a common sense way and I can say that, um, well, a water is something that is uh, usually in a liquid state, it is colorless and it is odorless, mm -hmm. okay? So, as I mentioned, as in the case of the dogs that I was mentioning earlier, all, all these three features are not necessarily sufficient for being a water, but this is the kind of features that we use in order to make fast associative types of uh, uh, reasoning. So we do not use the, the, the information about, uh, uh, let's say, the atomic uh, components of uh, the, the water. So this is just uh, to give you an example. And uh, as, I, uh, um, as I mentioned, we are trying to extend this kind of architecture to the uh, vision uh, by uh, substituting, uh, for example, uh, WordNet with ImageNet, which is, let's say, which can be probably another uh, kind of uh, um, huge uh, data bank that we can use in order to uh, connect different kinds of representation. But we have, let's say, uh, uh, for the moment, no, uh, no results. I mean, it's a work in progress. Okay, okay. So, so, so the in the original work, um, when you use as uh, so take that example of that water, for example, the features, the common sense features, is there some level of importance given to those features during the training process, um, or or it's it's all captured differently. Uh, you mean how do so, we? You know, you know whether it's a liquid, it's colorless, it's odorless. If let's say that those three features, yeah, is some level of ex ante importance assigned to those features. Uh, well, um, actually, the, the importance can be uh, uh, somehow uh, uh, extracted because okay. uh, so it's not something that you uh, put, uh, uh, let's say, by uh, manually within uh, this kind of uh, um, representational system, but uh, uh, if you look at how, for example, water is described, okay, uh, by uh, by the people, they use this kind of description. So, mm -hmm. uh, one way that you uh, can have in order to extract this kind of uh, typical feature is trying to uh, trying to uh, let's say uh, figure out which are the most uh, common kind of uh, characterization for describing uh, a given uh, entity. And uh, uh, in, within this kind of uh, um, say characterization, you are, you are going to, uh, to find some typical descriptions for that kind of uh, concept that you are uh, looking in. Okay, and okay. That's, uh, I mean, there are a, a lot of projects also that uh, um, uh, um, 
have been around for a while. For example, the Open Mind uh, Common Project at uh, MIT, where the people were asked were uh, uh, asked to uh, annotate with the very let's say few features, uh, uh, thousands and thousands of uh, uh, concepts, and you can see that there are statistical regularities mm. uh, between the, the let's say uh, the features that are considered more uh, typical for representing some kind of uh, concepts, and you can just select that one. Okay, okay, and you also mentioned here that. Uh, it may be plausibly applied to different general computational models of cognition. Um, yeah, yeah, this is an original paper. Are you making progress in that direction as well? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, what we uh, um, uh, did with this kind of architecture, uh, I mean, we, we started to develop it from uh, scratch, but we then uh, started to realize that this kind of uh, this kind of architecture was actually able to uh, perform to extend, let's say, the knowledge processing uh, capabilities of uh, um, uh, some kind of cognitive agents, and it could have been integrated within uh, already available cognitive architectures. Now, cognitive architectures are, uh, let's say, a software instantiation of um, cognitive theories. And they, this is a, a field that started with Allen Newell uh, in the uh, let's say late uh, 80s of the last uh, uh, century. So we started to integrate actually our system within, uh, for example, the ACTAR architecture, which is a cognitive architecture yeah. developed uh, at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, we have also integrated this kind of uh, architecture with uh, uh, LIDA. Uh, and with uh, with SOAR and other architecture. So we actually showed how uh, our extended categorization capability uh, could have been uh, actually plugged in within different kind of agents architectures. So in this way, uh, uh, the agents that were equipped with this kind of architectures could also, uh, let's say, uh, have the advantage of uh, using our extended categorization uh, capabilities. Okay, okay. Yeah, I want to jump into another paper, which is uh, which is related, uh, again, from the Journal of Experimental and Theoretical Artificial Intelligence. It's entitled A Description Logic Framework for Common Sense Conceptual Combination, Integrating Typicality, Probabilities, and Cognition Heuristics. So, so you propose a non-monotonic uh, description logic of typicality able to account for the phenomenon of the combination of prototypical concepts. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, uh, this is a, a, a work that I've done uh, with uh, Gianluca Pozzato at the University of uh, Turin. Yeah. And, uh, well, it actually tries to address a specific, uh, let's say, question within uh, the uh, common sense reasoning research agenda, which is how are we able to, uh, let's say, uh, uh, generate uh, autonomously uh, new knowledge, okay? Mm -hmm. By starting from the knowledge that we already have. And of course, how can we, uh, let's say, uh, create an automatic procedures that uh, allows also an artificial system to automatically generate uh, new knowledge to solve, for example, uh, some uh, some uh, new goals. Yeah, uh, and uh, our answer uh, was that uh, uh, well, actually, um, uh, most of the um, let's say uh, ordinary 
uh, knowledge invention, so I mean, uh, knowledge invention which is not related, for example, to mathematical theories or something like that. So, but let's say common sense knowledge uh, invention is based on a reframing, on a creative recombination of mm. the things that we already uh, already know. And a typical example uh, here uh, is uh, um, that one of uh, object uh, uh, composition. So, uh, for example, let us assume that we want to uh, um, uh, invent uh, to, uh, a new kind of uh, uh, a new kind of object. Um, well, when we when uh, we if you want to do this kind of uh, um, this task is very is a very difficult one, by the way, because only uh, humans and a few other uh, primates. And the ravens are able to do this kind of uh, <laughs> are able to invent new objects by combining, let's say, other objects that they uh, already uh, already know. So this is a very, let's say, uh, difficult task within the biological species and also within, let's say, the artificial uh, research, uh, intelligence research field. So well, in this way, what we do uh, is uh, usually try to figure out. So we have a goal to solve. For example, we want uh, to uh, create uh, an object which is graspable and uh, uh, that is able to launch other objects at distance, okay? But we do not have, let's say, within our uh, uh, knowledge inventory, an object that alone is able to perform this kind of, uh, uh, to satisfy this kind of goal. So what we suggest with the, uh, this logic is that we can recombine in a creative way the things that, uh, let's say, the, the inventory of objects that we have in our, let's say, in the artificial, let's say, mind, okay, of our uh, agent, uh, in a such a way that the agents can, for example, um, um, invent uh, a, a, a slingshot by combining the concept of branch with the concept of rubber band. Okay, hmm. so um, this is something that we have tested ex ex extensively, and this is actually the kind of work that uh, our uh, logic is able to do. So uh, this logic uh, assumes that uh, um, actually uh, most of the knowledge invention procedures that we uh, um, uh, do um, in an ordinary uh, in an ordinary way as, are based on the creative recombination. Of the things that we already uh, that we already uh, know, and it provides actually a framework that integrates, let's say, different kind of ingredients in order to perform this kind of uh, task. Yeah, it, it's very interesting, Antonio. Um, I don't know if there's any connection here, but it has been suggested that uh, when we uh, dream uh, during our when we sleep, when we dream. It's really a, a goal generation process by the brain, um, really combining information it has, creating a new goal in an effort to train, uh, you know, train the, the, the brain for future, uh, future encounters uh, on, on things that it hasn't really seen yet. Um, so it's sort of in the same vein here, right? Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Go ahead. I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is the main point. I mean, also, uh, uh, dreaming is, uh, uh, let's say, uh, a process that uh, um, uh, with, within which there are a lot of, uh, let's say, creative uh, processes uh, uh, going on. 
and one of these processes is exactly this one. So uh, um, trying to uh, recombine, to reframe the knowledge that you have in order to, let's say, for example, be prepared for, uh, uh, let's say, uh, some uh, next goal that you are going to figure out within, uh, within our dream or uh, something that you uh, fear to face or, or something, uh, uh, something like that. And in general, I would say that also within the area of computational creativity, so within the area that uh, uh, actually um, uh, try to build machines that are creative uh, in both, let's say, the ordinary sense that I'm, uh, let's say, uh, talking about here, but also in the, in the artistic sense, okay, so in the artistic domain. Um, one way uh, that uh, uh, is um, described, for example, in the famous book of uh, uh, Bowden about computational creativity, uh, so she, uh, she points out how there are at least, let's say, two different types of uh, creative processes. The one is combinatorial creativity, which is the one that I'm talking about here, and another one is transformational uh, creativity, mm -hmm. uh, which requires, let's say, some kind of additional steps. But I, th I think that uh, uh, in uh, most of the cases, uh, so for example, inventing a new object, it may seem something that is, uh, let's say, quite obvious to us, but uh, it was not obvious at all from an evolutionary point of view. Uh, and uh, so having the capability of reasoning in, the, uh, in this way is, uh, um, is important because uh, most of the, uh, let's say, ordinary, let's say, types of uh, creative uh, things that we do are exactly based on this process of uh, common sense concepts uh, uh, um, recombination, which is described in the TCL logic. Uh, what I, I can add is that uh, um, the interesting thing uh, is that we have actually applied our logic to, uh, um, uh, let's say, uh, specific, uh, uh, within specific uh, uh, knowledge-based application. For example, we have applied our uh, uh, um, reasoning system uh, um, within uh, the context of uh, Rai Play platform, which is uh, the main, I mean, Rai is the main uh, national broadcasting uh, uh, company in, yeah. in Italy. Uh, they have a, a huge online platform uh, which uh, is called uh, Rai Play. And we have used, uh, let's say, uh, our reasoning system in order to. Uh, generate, for example, novel uh, genre uh, categories, for example, by mixing uh, uh, the, the, the genre of the uh, thriller and the genre of, uh, I don't know, um, romantic uh, series or romantic movies, something like that, okay? Mm -hmm. In order to create, let's say, novel kind of uh, uh, hybrid genres, uh, hybrid genres, and in order to reclassify the whole content of their um, catalog, yeah. Um, and this kind of reclassification has also been used in order to recommend to the users, to the real users of the platform, uh, let's say, the, uh, um, the content reclassified in this uh, uh, novel uh, generated uh, categories. And I mean, we, uh, I mean, at least for now, we were quite success uh, successful. Uh, we have a, a, a paper that is forthcoming that is presented um, in the, that has been accepted in the uh, ECI conference, which is the main uh, European conference on artificial intelligence that uh, has been done in collaboration with people from uh, um, 
the technology center of RISE. So we have a real application within the context of, let's say, computational creativity and serendipity-based recommendation, which is actually based on this uh, logic that is able to recombine in a creative way, as we humans do, uh, new, uh, let's say, uh, different kinds of existing categories in order to form new categories that can be used for a variety of, uh, of tasks. Yeah, I, I can see uh, mechanistically, Antonio, the combinatorial creativity. So, you know, it, it is uh, something that that can uh, move forward, I would imagine, um, pretty, uh, pretty fast. But the transformational creativity is, is different, right? So is it, is it um, something along the lines that you're making random searches away from what you know in a design space and and, and randomly, uh, you know, find something. Uh, what exactly is transformational creativity? Well, um, in uh, uh, transformational creativity, actually, you do not use just this kind of, uh, let's say, let's say um, uh, combinatorial, uh, uh, combinatorial uh, mechanism. So you need something more, yeah. let's say, in order to, uh, um, uh, I don't know, uh, invent, for example, uh, new concepts uh, or yeah in order to generate new for example uh, I don't know artistic styles or something uh, something like that and uh, it makes sense because uh, it's it is clear that um, let's say our kind of creativity is not just combinatorial yeah uh, so, um, but I would say that most of uh, our, say, common sense creativity is combinatorial. But for, for example, this kind of, uh, of creativity is not exactly the kind of creativity that, uh, uh, for example, Caravaggio or Giotto may uh, have had when they invented new kinds of uh, styles. So they, had, they also had to uh, somehow, not just to... Um, were asked uh, also for a, a kind of transformation of the space of conceptualization, let's say. Mm. Okay, so not just com- re- uh, recombination, novel recombination, novel creative recombination within the same kind of uh, uh, space, but uh, in some cases you also need to, uh, let's say, change the space. Right. And so this, this requires a, 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 an additional, an additional uh, step that for the moment is, uh, let's say, uh, out of the scope with respect to our uh, law. I mean, we are aware of um, this kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, this kind of literature, but our result was really, I mean, our aim was really that one of um, trying to provide some results in, uh, within this kind of uh, combinatorial based, a common sense based um, uh, creativity, which was still, uh, let's say, uh, a completely uh, open problem within uh, within the artificial intelligence research. So this was not a, let's say, solved problem. And also in our case, we are happy with, with what we have, but uh, we are trying to, uh, mm, uh, let's say, uh, build more uh, efficient mechanism in order to obtain the results that uh, uh, that uh, we we have so I mean there are still uh, a lot of uh, space for uh, for um, improvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, 
I want to explore a bit with you, uh, Antonio, sort of the philosophy of artificial intelligence. Um, when I was in graduate school in the mid 80s, you know, we were creating expert systems, um, what was then called expert systems. Uh, my thesis was uh, one of those systems that attempted to teach graduate students to build up design intuition faster by interacting with computers. So, you know, early work in this area, we used to think computers are actually a lot better than humans. <laughs> you know, we, we deployed computers to teach humans. Uh, and, you know, we have come a long way from, it, from there. But artificial intelligence generally seems to start from a point uh, that assumes uh, the human brain is actually very good and in an attempt to replicate that in, in ways that, uh, you know, we could. Uh, but, you know, very practically speaking, we don't really, really have a lot of information that says the human brain is the most efficient uh, way of processing uh, information or even creativity, you know. In uh, many business contexts, we can, this is some work that I did in the mid-90s in a pharmaceutical company. We can, we can demonstrate that human decision-making processes are faulty, and we see that in financial markets. And so, so from, a, from a philosophical perspective, um, is it a really good uh, way to think about that, you know, we almost... Uh, without question, assume that the human brain is probably the best thing we should attempt to replicate. Is that a, is that a good way? Uh, uh, well, I think that uh, one of the um, say particular um, say features of natural system, not just of the uh, let's say of us as uh, humans, yeah. is that we are able to uh, perform uh, simultaneously a multitude of uh, tasks. Okay, yeah. within the, the, the same, uh, the very same, uh, uh, let's say, hardware, which is our uh, <laughs> um, brain architecture. Okay, if I can use this kind of metaphor. Right. Um, so um, I would say that uh, uh, if you consider not just specialized tasks, mm -hmm. uh, like, for example, face recognition, okay, or like, for example, machine translation from, I don't know, English to Italian, okay? Yeah. Well, if, we, if we, we do not consider only very uh, brittle and specialized tasks, we are still the best species in the, uh, let's say, in this planet uh, that are able to uh, perform a variety of tasks in uh, a satisfying way. Mm -hmm. I'm using this term uh, uh, a la Herbert Simon. So this term was introduced by Herbert Simon, which was one of the, uh, AI um, pioneers, but it was also he was also a uh, um, Nobel Prize in uh, um, uh, in economics for for his studies on the bounded rationality. Okay, yeah. so he actually pointed out that we are not let's say uh, um, optimizers. Uh, right. uh, okay, we do not make optimal dec decision making because we are not able to. Uh, uh, so due to our brain limitation. Uh, and to our memory limitation, this kind of stuff, we are not able to um, calculate, let's say, the optimal, uh, um, uh, the optimal uh, decision. Optimal, optimal decision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For every and each decisions. But we use a, a set of heuristics. So these heuristics are, in most of the cases, evolutionary shaped. Mm. So uh, this means that they are the best shortcuts for solving uh, a given uh, uh, a given problems and for example common sense heuristic 
common sense reasoning, sorry, uh, just use this, uh, it's just a, a, let's say, a huge variety, a collection of, uh, uh, let's say, evolutionary shaped uh, heuristics that enable us to make in, uh, uh, let's say, very few, uh, in, 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 a, in a very fast way, uh, allows us to make uh, complex decisions, if you want, okay? Mm -hmm. So decisions that machines are not able to perform in a matter of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, seconds or milliseconds or something like that, okay? Uh, so uh, I think that uh, I think that if we, let's say, zoom out a little bit uh, uh, from some specific uh, competencies, uh, we can still say that uh, we are uh, uh, the, uh, still, let's say, the best system on, on this planet uh, uh, for a variety uh, of uh, uh, of task with yeah, respect so to other let's say species and also with respect to let's say the uh, currently available uh, let's say uh, AI systems. Yeah, so th that is true, Antonio. I agree with that. But you know, uh, so we don't yet have a theory of consciousness. Um, the 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 broader question I'm wondering is, you know, we we seem to marvel at the at the human brain. And it does a lot of lot of interesting things. And as you say, you know, it has heuristics that, you know, it has an operating system. Uh, those heuristics over fifty thousand years uh, built into either the operating system or apps put on that operating system. Those heuristics also have a lot of errors in them. Uh, so there is an architecture question, and there is a you know sort of a software question. And uh, I think our hypothesis appears to be that is the best way. Uh, to optimize, uh, not, not necessarily to optimize, to reach decisions. Now, if we say that the objective function, the goal is to optimize, then we shouldn't really be starting at the brain architecture, nor its processing, um, uh, you know, uh, method, methods, right? Because yeah, it yeah. doesn't do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, as, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, if you understood uh, correctly your... Uh, your point. I mean, as you mentioned, it depends from uh, the, the the kind of goal that you that you have when you want to, uh, let's say, build a um, a machine. For example, a, a typical example is this one. Uh, there is in the, in the influential uh, textbook on artificial intelligence by uh, uh, Russell uh, and Norving. Uh, they uh, famously stated that uh, the quest for artificial flight succeeded when the, the Wright brothers and the others stopped imitating birds and, <laughs> right. uh, and started using uh, uh, wind ton tunnels and learning about aerodynamics. Yeah. So this is the point. But and this is true because, for example, from an engineering perspective, uh, if you want to just build, let's say, a better technology that is able to perform uh, that particular kind of task in a better way. So probably, uh, let's say, the natural inspiration, not that one coming from humans, but also from other, let's say, biological species, can be somehow uh, uh, misleading and you have to follow different, uh, um, let's say, uh, um, principles. Right. Uh, but uh, I would say uh, that if your, um, let's say, if your goal is that one of trying to build a, let's say, cognitively inspired or a biological inspired system, you do not have just this kind of, let's say, technological goal. You, you also have uh, another kind of goal, 
which is that one of trying to use this kind of uh, uh, simulation in order to explain something that uh, uh, is not is still it is still not clear from uh, uh, let's say neuroscience point of view mm. or from a psychological point of view about how the bra the brain works and about how the mind works yeah okay so uh, you in this case you have a, a twofold goal you do not just have the goal of providing uh, uh, let's say um, a better better technology because in some cases it can be completely uh, let's say unhelpful to to have this kind of uh, human inspiration or cognitive inspiration but in general to have a, a naturally inspired uh, uh, approach but if you want to build also models that uh, uh, have some kind of explanatory role well you actually uh, need to build this kind of models and the interesting thing is that in some cases uh, not always but in some cases the uh, this cognitively inspired uh, ai system or the biological inspired ai system also achieve better performances in the context of let's say uh, um, of, of the uh, strictly speaking uh, ai technological domain so it means that there is something yeah okay uh, that it is uh, uh, worth considering uh, in the design of intelligent system that comes from uh, the, um, uh, the 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 how let's say uh, how, how our mind how and we our, do it. Yeah. Our yeah yeah exactly. But would you say, Antonio, um, that we are really focused on sort of what I would call the micro? Um, uh, you know, the individual, right? Uh, you know, the goals uh, of an individual brain. Uh, but there are potentially larger questions around societal conscience, uh, how humans interact with each other. Uh, and so when we take an engineering view uh, to artificial intelligence and conscience, uh, it seems to me that, you know, there might be other ways to think about it. I don't know a lot about it, but you know, it's a very mechanistic uh, micro view uh, of how the brain works. Um, perhaps, you know, the brain is sharing information in ways that we don't quite understand. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, for sure, this is a, a, a crucial point. I mean, uh, uh, currently, we do not uh, know that much about the brain. OK, so uh, even if it seems that we are making a lot of progress, but actually uh, we are uh, very far from an understanding uh, also the most uh, fundamental, I would say, uh, let's say, uh, um, mechanism of, uh, of the brain about, uh, let's say, not just about high-level cognition, but also about uh, motor coordination and, let's say, a lot of other, uh, a lot of other uh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it is possible that we are uh, assuming a sort of... Uh, uh, micro perspective, but it is just, uh, um, I would say, it's a place to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's the best. I mean, it is the best that we can do right now because right. Uh, we are uh, in the dark. I don't know how to say, <laughs> uh, but uh, that's that's true. I mean, that's true. I mean, uh, also mm, people working with a lot with neuroscientists. I mean, I have a lot of mm, uh, interaction with them. I mean, we are really in the dark. The neuroscience literature, uh, you can find for the same kind of, uh, let's say, fMRI uh, studies, completely uh, uh, opposite explanations. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really difficult to, to understand uh, also uh, and to interpret the, the results that uh, they are uh, starting to obtain with, uh, uh, let's say, um, 
with, uh, for example, fMRI studies or other kind of uh, um, neuroimage-based uh, studies. So uh, this is, as I mentioned, just a way to uh, to start. I agree with you that probably, I mean, we are. Uh, I mean, I mean, we don't know uh, where we are, but this is just a. a starting point i would yeah, say yeah it keeps us uh, interested <laughs> interested so antonio in conclusion i want to ask you if you look forward five years um where do you think we will be in artificial intelligence more generally um more gen for more generally you mean uh, on you know in the... terms of uh, i should say in terms of applications you know where, where ah, do okay. you think Yeah, where do you think we will be in five years? Uh, I, I, th I think that uh, there will be still uh, some, um, let's say, uh, narrow improvements in areas like, for example, natural language uh, uh, processing yeah. with the use of, uh, let's say, these uh, language models like uh, GPT-3 and so on and so forth. There will be a lot of applications uh, that uh, will be uh, built on this kind of uh, models and probably uh, some minor um let's say um some minor advancements also in the field of uh, uh, vision and speech and so on and so forth uh so i i, I can see these coming in the next five years i uh, cannot see uh let's say an integration of the all these uh, um, different kinds of uh, let's say distributed faculties we still uh, do not know how to integrate also in a kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, naive uh, way, okay, all these kind of, uh, um, let's say, intelligent uh, uh, faculties within uh, an artificial uh, system that is able to, uh, let's say, uh, achieve, I, I would not say human level perform performances, but uh, let's say accept acceptable performances. So we are, uh, there is still a long way to go. Yeah, and this is the idea that you are you are pushing forward, uh, sort of integrating linguistic, visual, and other types of inputs. Um, those systems, I think, uh, you know, tend to look at it uh, sort of a disconnected way. Uh, but I think your approach uh, might be uh, going in that direction of integrating them, right? Exactly. I mean, uh, this is exactly uh, uh, the point. For uh, I do not consider the construction of uh, single uh, systems as a, a sufficient mean to enable the generalization of, let's say, unifying uh, systems. Uh, so, uh, and uh, one way that uh, I suggest to, to follow, and it's not uh, only me, of course, there is an entire research community, is that one of trying to um, uh, figure out which are the possible cognitive architectures, so which are the invariant structure of human cognition that we can build within and that we can, uh, uh, let's say, uh, instantiate in a, uh, in a software yeah. that enable us to uh, have, let's say, a sort of common ground upon which we can uh, um, uh, build uh, vision applications, speech applications, uh, uh, linguistic application, and so on and so forth. Of course, this is a, it's a very difficult uh, a task that's why let's say in the con in this context uh, there are no um let's say very uh, huge uh, successes yeah. so it's easier to go uh, let's say to to divide to use the divide and conquer uh, approach right <laughs> right okay. uh, uh, but i mean i think that from a, a scientific point of view it is uh, also interesting to 
um, trying to figure out uh, how we can really integrate this kind of aspect because this uh, can also have uh, a lot of uh, uh, impact in the area of uh, concrete applications. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, this has been great, Antonio. Thanks so much for spending time with me and good luck thanks, with uh, all your research. Thanks. It was really a pleasure. Thank you very Thank much. You. Bye.